We want to thank you today for joining us at Truth Chapel's podcast. I pray this word would bring you life. I pray that it would edify you, encourage you, and enlighten you. If you have a moment, please subscribe and leave us a review. We will be so grateful. God bless, and let this word speak to your heart today. But now we're about to see some work happen to go in, and we're also about to see some systems that have to be in place. And so, uh, just for your understanding tonight, the Grecians uh, were not necessarily Greek. These are Jewish people who have been uh, raised in the Greek atmosphere. Um, If you study this out, you'll see that these people were called Hellenists, uh, not because hell, not... It's, it, it, it's no reference to the, the actual place of hell. It, it was just a name that was given to them um, because they were, they were of Jewish descent. They were Jewish blood, um, but they had been raised up in a, a Greek atmosphere. They spoke Greek, and we have to remember that on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 that there were people there from all over the world, and when they heard and when they saw this, this thing happening, they came, and, all, and they said, man, how... How can this be happening? Because we see these, these, you know, these Galileans who are speaking our language. A part of those people were, were, were Greek. And so those Greeks, you know, the Bible says that about 5,000 received the Holy Ghost that day. I mean, that's a lot of people. So some of those Greeks received the Holy Ghost. They went back to where they were. They were Jews. They were Jews, but they spoke Greek. And they were in, uh, they were in um, Jerusalem on that day because of, you know, the Passover feast. And the, uh, the, the, the Feast of Pentecost, they were all there, and they were there meeting family and, and doing their yearly journey to Jerusalem to pay their respects, being good Jews, so to speak. And that's when, this, when the church was born, because all of those Jews were there. They were all there. Here they all get the Holy Ghost. 5,000 of them received the Holy Ghost, and they, they disperse. Well, now the church is going, and the church is being birthed, and, and the apostles are, are, are preaching, and they're teaching, and people are continuing from house to house to house, and, and it's growing. The church is growing. We see um, at this point, we know of exactly somewhere around 10,000 people who are in the church. That's a lot of people. That's what we know of. Now, there could be more. There could be thousands and thousands more, but what we know of for sure is around 10,000 people that are in the church. So it's a large church, and we only know of, at this point, 12 disciples. But now Acts chapter 6 tells us that in those days, the number of disciples were multiplied. So now it's not just people receiving the Holy Ghost, not just you know random people. Now the disciples are multiplying. They're adding to their number. And the, the ministry of the church is growing because we need preachers over here, and we need preachers over there, and we got work going on over here, we got work going on over there. And somehow these Grecians, these Hellenists who are Jewish, who obviously received the Holy Ghost and were saved, and they're like, hey, all this stuff's going on, but our widows are being neglected. And now one thing we have to see about the early church is that the early church held widows in very high esteem. We'll see this in the book of James when James will tell us what pure religion is. Pure religion is taking care of the orphan and visiting the widows and taking care. So we see the early church and their concepts, like, this is, a big, this is a big deal. This has to happen. And so the Grecians are like, hey, we kind of feel neglected. Like, we, we love the word, and we love the excitement, and we love that people are being healed, and, and we love that God's doing great things, but our, our widows are just not being taken care of. And see, like, this is, a part of, this is a part of the church. 
This is something that the church should be doing. Now, let me show you this. The apostles didn't say, come on, man, take care of your own widows. We got stuff to do. You know, they didn't say, hey, you know, clean out your own garbage. We got, we got things going on. They didn't say, hey, you know, sweep your own floors. Take care of your own stuff. We, you know, we're, we're too busy for that. We're doing the Lord's work. But the apostles heard this. The 12 called the multitude of disciples unto them. Now, watch this. The, the 12, those, those 12 apostles who are head of the church at this point, they call unto them all the disciples and said, it is not reason, watch verse 2, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now, they're not being arrogant. They're not, they're not being, you know, this, we're, we're above this. That's not what they're trying to do here. I know some people will read this and be like, oh, they think they're too good to serve tables. Um, that's not what these men are, are, are trying to do right here. Now, I guarantee you that if Peter needed to serve tables, that he would have. And I guarantee you that if, that if these 12 disciples needed to serve in, in some capacity, they, they would have served in some capacity. But this is a full-time job. This isn't like visit the widows on this, this coming Monday and then that's it. No, this is a continual thing. This has to happen all the time. And so they know we can't, I mean, I, we can't give ourselves to serving tables because then who's going to preach? Who's going to go to these cities? Who's going to connect with these churches? Like, like, like if we give up our ministry to serve tables, that's not going to be good. And you disciples who are following us now, who are learning from us, who are getting mentored from us, you don't need to be serving tables either because we need you over here and we need you over there. So they say, wherefore, brethren, watch verse 3, wherefore, brethren, look ye among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom ye may appoint over this business. He said, you, you disciples, look amongst yourself. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report. I want you to look among yourself and I want you to pull out seven men. And, and, and here's what they need to be. Number one, they need to be here. They got to be among you. Amen? Amen. It, can't, it, it can't be somewhere else right now. They need to be among you. They got to be present. Somebody say, be present. Glory. You got to be present. Now, he said, the next thing is, they need honest report. They need to have honest report. They need to have a good reputation. Now, I know there are so many people who want to do a work for God and, and have dreams of doing a work for God and, uh, you know, may pray, may read their Bible, may, may be good up speaking in front of people. They may have all the attributes of, of being a, a good minister for the Lord, uh, but they just have a bad reputation. That's why you should protect your character. You should protect your character because you never know when God's going to call you to the front. Amen? You never know when God's going to call you to the front. You may have to lead something. You may have to be in charge of something. And you need to make sure that my reputation's good. Now, we live in a society, we live in a culture that would say, man, I don't care what people think about me. I'm going to do my own thing. I don't care what people think. You know, they, you know, they think I'm this, they think I'm that. Let them think it. That's on them. That ain't on me. What you need to know, it, it, it does matter what people think about you. I'm sorry. I know we, we all want to, you know, preach, preach the message, you know, never judge a book by its cover. But when's the last time you didn't judge a book by its cover? Have you never not judged a book by its cover? I would say nay. I mean, because if you pick a book up and, and the cover of that book 
looks like some garbage, you're probably never going to open it up to read it. We all judge books by their covers. We, we, we all know somebody. Listen, there, I, I'm from Spring Lake, North Carolina. I was raised in that church. I did some dirt in that church. Y'all hear me? Some dirt. We're church folk. And there's probably not a real good chance I can minister to some of those great people of God sitting on them pews because I'm the first person that brought their kid to the club. Just facts. If it hadn't been for me, their sons and daughters may have never drank or smoked or whatever. But the preacher's kid was like, y'all pack up, we going. Right? In that setting, there's some people that I ruined my reputation with because I didn't care what people thought about me. But what I couldn't see at that moment in my life is what God was going to do later in my life. And if I'd have known that, I would have been careful to say, hey, you know what? This probably isn't good for me to do. All things are lawful. All things are not expedient. Paul will say this later on. He said all things are lawful for me, but all things are not wise for me because even though this may be okay, I don't want my good to be evil spoken of, and I want to, I want to protect how people see me because there may be a moment when God calls me to the front and I'm not trying to be fake. There's a difference, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not trying to be fake because a lot of people are just trying to be fake, and, we, and that is the problem. We think that you're trying to be fake. It feels fake. And you should, you should protect your reputation from trying to be fake because people will gain a thought about you. People will, will think about you a certain way. And... You know, sometimes, you know, the proof is in the pudding. The evidence is there. And we, we all believe in, in second chances because if we didn't, wouldn't none of us be here. And, and we all believe that people can change. Amen. A ain't you glad that people can change? Ain't you so glad? I'm so glad that I'm not who I was. I'm, I'm glad I'm not who I was 10 years ago when I started this church. God has done so many great things in me, and I've allowed him to, and I've sought after becoming better. I've, I've searched that out. I've sought it. You know what? I, I want to become better. I want to think differently. Why do I think this way? Why does my mind always go here? That's not good. That's not wise. I can't pastor people and always have this mindset. I got to shift myself. I got to do something different. I got I, I, I to work on myself. You know what? I'm going to listen to some podcasts. I'm going to read some books. I'm going to do some deep dives. I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray. Because I care what people think about me. Because in a moment like this, when God's about to call people to the front to serve, amen, you should, you should protect yourself. You should protect your reputation. He said they need to be of honest report and full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Amen. Because I know some folks that's full of the Holy Ghost ain't got no wisdom. <laughs> Amen. I know some folks that save, sanctify, Holy Ghost filled, water baptized, but they ain't got no wisdom. It's full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. I need, I need you to have the Holy Ghost and, and be smart too. Be wise with people. Amen. I, I, I remember being... Uh, a young man in my father's church, and my dad was a Bible study teacher. He was a soul winner. And I'm telling you, he brought so many young GIs from Fort Bragg into that church, and he preached, taught, taught them Bible studies, got them baptized full of the Holy Ghost. And I'm going to tell you right now, there ain't no crazier convert than a 20-year-old GI, you know, like full of the Holy Ghost, trying to tell everybody in the world that they're wrong, going to hell. Y'all all, go, everybody going to hell. I mean, I can't tell you how many times my dad would sit guys down and be like, hey, listen, I'm, we're excited for you. You know, you got the Holy Ghost, it's good. But you can't go to your unit and tell everybody that they're going to hell. You can't do that. 
Well, they are, Pastor. Listen, there's a better way to evangelize than this. You know, you got people, you got your sergeant calling me saying, hey, you got to calm this man down. He about to get in a fight over here because he just so on fire for God. He's so full of the Holy Ghost, got zero wisdom. Just laying hands on everybody. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. You need it, you need it, you all need it. And my dad's like, hey, calm down, man. Take a deep breath. You need to be full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. He said, we need people who are among us. We need people who have good report, good reputation. We need people who are full of the Holy Ghost and full of wisdom and who we can appoint over this business. We can put over this. But we will give, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, the, the apostles, the disciples, they knew their role but they were willing to assign roles to other people. They said, listen, this is not a prayer and ministry role. This is a serving role. Even though our role for prayer and ministry is also serving as well, this is a different type of serving. And I believe ministry is ministry. I believe that these men who were ministering to these uh, widows were just as important as the apostles ministering to the people through the word. Amen? These things had to happen. This is the early church. And we see these systems being created in the early church. You have a role. They have a role. We have a role. This is what we're doing. We're, we're all in this together, and we're working together as a team to make sure that we're filling in all the gaps. This is how a church should operate. This is how a book of Acts church should operate and fill in the gaps here and there. Everybody can't preach, and everybody can't serve tables. Everybody can't sing. Everybody can't teach Sunday school. Everybody's not called to nursery ministry. Amen. Amen. I, I knew I'd get some amens on that one. Amen. Everybody's not called to clean. Everybody's not called to, you know, like, you. We, we all have a role to play. And I know that, you know, I tell our team here, and there's leaders in this room here that will tell you this. I, I, I tell my team, every lane is your lane when it needs to be your lane. Because I know people say, well, that's not my lane. I don't really, that's not my role. But in a, in a certain moment, every role is my role. Because I can preach here, but I can vacuum too. And I have vacuumed. You know, when the time is right, I, 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 every lane is my lane. I'll, I'll preach the word of God. I'll pray for the sick. I'll go to the hospitals and, and visit, but I'll also paint. Amen, because every role is my role. Every lane is my lane, but my, my, my job is not painting. I'll do it if I have to. You know what I'm saying? If, it, if it's needed, I'll step into that lane, but that's not really my lane. It's not what God called me to do here at Truth Chapel, but we all understand that concept, right? But... Every one of us have different roles. And now, later on in the New Testament, we'll see Paul really start breaking this down for the church. And he'll say, you know, everybody in the church is not a foot. Some people are a hand. And everybody's not an ear. Some people are an eye. But can the foot say to the hand, I have no need of thee? Can the, can the ear say to the eye, I don't need you no more? Some of y'all need glasses to hear now. <laughs> ain't, it, ain't it facts? Ain't it facts? I'm old enough now. I'm so old now, I got to turn down the radio so I can see where I'm going when I'm driving. Because somehow my ears have connected to my eyes. I don't know how that happened. Right? Because it all works together, don't it? Some of y'all, when, when, we, we, when we was all wearing masks for real, for real, some of y'all didn't know what nobody said to you. Because you didn't know how deaf you was until we covered up our mouths. And then you were like, you know what? I've been reading lips for 10 years. I didn't know it. I've been reading lips. I didn't know I was a lip reader until y'all started wearing masks. And all of a sudden, right, because it all works together. Amen? 
You ain't, you ain't never stubbed your toe in the middle of the night, kicked the corner of the wall, and when you stubbed your toe, went, oh, God. Oh, Lord, oh, my toe. No, your whole body was like, oh, my Jesus. Some of y'all didn't even know you was that limber. You didn't even know you could touch your toes until you kicked the corner of that wall at 3 a.m. and you was like, oh, Lord. Oh, wow. I'm, wow. 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 Wow, I'm limber. You didn't even know. Your whole body, right? And so, Paul, the whole body has to work together. Yes, we need to pray. We need the word, but we need people over here doing this. We need people over here doing that. Amen? Amen? We'll give ourselves continually to prayer to minister the word. Watch this. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and of Philip, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nisanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. I mean, these men were anointed to wait tables. The apostles brought these men together and prayed for them. They ordained them. They anointed them. They prayed for them just to serve. Can I, can I remind you tonight that serving in God's kingdom is more than just a little job that you do at church? But it is a ministry. Watch what happens when the church begins to structure itself and have different ministries. And as the, as the base of the church begins to broaden out and we have systems, watch this. In verse 7, and the word of God increased. Why did the word of God increase? Because we put seven men over tables. Because now people who needed to be working on the word could work on the word because there was somebody taking care of tables. The word increased because the right people got in the right place. I know you may just be doing a little job cleaning, you know, parking car, whatever it may be. But because you're doing that, the word can increase somewhere else. Yeah, you're important. And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. That's, that's powerful. Before this moment, no priest had been the, the Bible doesn't tell us that any priest, we, we're talking about Pharisees and Sadducees, the priest. The Bible doesn't tell us before this moment that any priest had been saved, that any priest had believed the word, that any priest had said, you know what, I believe in Jesus and received the gift of the Holy Ghost and been baptized in Jesus' name. The Bible tells us of no priests that have actually done that. But when they appointed seven men to take care of that need, the word increased so much to a place where a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Watch verse 8. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Now let me remind you that the Stephen of verse 8 is the same Stephen of verse 5. Watch what his job was. This is what he was ordained and anointed to do. Wait tables for widows. But in verse 8, he was doing great wonders and miracles. Isn't that so powerful? Because what we see here is that Stephen's willingness to serve in one area gave him a gift in other areas. I, I, I've said this before, but I want to say it again because I see this in Stephen, is that like 
if we think about, like, God's will for our life, like what God really wants to do for our life, if we think of that thing or think of that moment or that great thing as the ocean, let's think of that as the ocean. That's the ocean. And we know that all these rivers run into the ocean to feed the ocean. And then if you back out farther, you know, you have smaller creeks, and then you have, like, little tiny little creeks feeding the rivers, and the rivers are feeding into bigger rivers, and it's going in. What I tell people when they're saying, like, what, what do you think the will of God for is my life? A lot of times I'll say, what are you doing right now? What, what are you currently involved in in this moment? And they may say, well, you know, I'm not really doing, I don't really have a job. Well, you got to get in somewhere. Like, you have to get in a creek if you want to get in a river. And you got to get into this river to get into a bigger river, and you got to get in that bigger river to get out to the ocean. Like, so you just need to get in somewhere. They say, well, I don't really feel called. I don't really feel called to children's ministry. That's fine. We're not asking you if you're called. We just need volunteers. Amen? We're not saying, who in here the Lord spoke to you and said work with kids? Nobody, exactly. Right, right. Because the cause is greater than the call. Yeah, we, we just need it. And so you step into that ministry, that, that creek, that little river, and as you're going along in that ministry, something else pops up. And you go, oh, man, I'm, I'm really good at this. Hey, I like this. This fulfills me. And like, how will you know what you're good at and how will you know what fulfills you unless you get in somewhere? You know, because Stephen obviously had great miracle signs and wonders in him. But he couldn't learn that until he waited tables for widows. Some, somewhere waiting tables for widows, some widow was like, you know, I've just been, I've been struggling. You know, I've been, uh, you know, I got a back pain. And, and Stephen was like, well, you know, it's my job to take care of the widows, so in the name of Jesus, be healed. And then that widow said, hey, Stephen, pray for me. And I, I, I mean, I've been walking straight ever since. Now, I'm, just, I'm making this up. This is not biblical, but I'm just giving you an idea of while Stephen was doing something that he was, God didn't call him to do, the apostles asked him to do. It was just a role that needed to be filled, but when he filled the role, God did something in him. Oh, matter of fact, if you go throughout the New Testament, you'll see many of these names again, these seven men. You'll see their names again doing other things in other places because it always begins somewhere. For them, this may have been, oh, look, all these disciples and you choose us seven, to go and serve these Grecians who ain't even really from Jerusalem. These are Greek-speaking people, you know, over there, and now I got to go over there, and I got to take care of them. But not knowing that, hey, that, that small role that you might play while we pray and we minister the word, because that, that would have been the thing to do at that time. That would have been the pinnacle. That would have been the proverbial Old uh, New Testament microphone. Amen. They said, oh, no, no, not yet. Go, go serve tables. But while serving tables, Stephen developed a great ministry. And there arose, watch verse 9. And there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and Syrians and Alexandrians, and out of them of Sicilia uh, and of Asia, disputing with, with Stephen. So, so Stephen is doing great works among the people. But see, Stephen's in a different place now. Stephen's not in Jerusalem anymore. He's working with the Grecians. He's doing great things among the Grecians. And now the synagogue, which is of the Grecians, of the Libertines and the Cyrenians, it's a different, it's a different place. They get into this dispute with Stephen, and they were not able to resist the wisdom 
and the spirit by which he spake. They start getting into a dispute with him, but they cannot resist the wisdom and the spirit. They were trying to def defend everything, but when Stephen would open his mouth, his wisdom and his spirit were right. Oh, hallelujah. And, 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 and I want you to, can you put verse 10? It's up there, okay. See, this is all capital letters, but I wish you could see this. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and spirit. If you got your Bible out right now, somebody tell me, is that word spirit capitalized? No, it's not. Because that's not talking about the spirit of God in Stephen. What it's talking about is Stephen's attitude was right. Ooh, I get that. We just preach. Just, amen. God bless you. Ushers come. Second offering. It's not saying that Stephen used the spirit of God, but it was his own spirit, his own attitude. He was so full of wisdom, and he just had a good spirit about him. They tried to fight this man, but his spirit was good. His spirit. Cap, the, the lowercase s. His attitude was right, and they, they couldn't resist him. They couldn't resist his wisdom, and they couldn't resist the spirit. Oh, hallelujah. Then... Then they suborned men which said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Basically, they paid men to lie. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council. And they set up false witnesses which said, this man ceases not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. They're setting a false witness against Stephen. This man is of, remember, this man is of good reputation. They ain't got nothing on him, so they got to create something on him. And all that sat in the council looked steadfastly on him and saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Stephen is a waiter of Grecian widow tables. In verse 5 of this chapter, Stephen was anointed, prayed over, and appointed to be one of the seven men who would make sure that in the daily administration, the Grecian widows would not be neglected. We don't even really know what that means. But it doesn't seem fancy, does it? It just seems like, man, this is just busy work. This is busy work. You know, we got to take care of these widows. They mad. They're, 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 they're disgruntled. So we need seven guys to go take care of that. Go make sure that they're not disgruntled anymore. Go, go smooth that over for us. That's how his ministry began. But by the end of it, he has a face of an angel. I'm only going to go a few more minutes tonight, but go to Acts chapter 7. Then said the high priest, are these things so? Speaking to, to Stephen, is this, is this right? What, what they're saying is correct. He said, men and brethren and fathers, hearken the glory of God appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Sharon and said unto him, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and come into the land which I will show thee. Then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Sharon and from thence when his father was dead, he removed him into this land wherein ye now dwell. 
They said, they said, listen, all these people speaking all this stuff about you, Stephen, is this right? Is what they're saying true? Stephen doesn't say yes or no. Stephen begins a history lesson. Verse 5, he gave him no inheritance in it. No, not so much as to set his foot on, yet he promised that he would give it to him for a possession and to his seed after him. When as yet he had no child, and God spake on this wise, that his seed should sojourn in a strange land, and that they should bring him them into bondage and entreat them evil 400 years, and the nation to whom they shall be in bondage will I judge, said God, and after that they shall come forth and serve me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision, and so Abraham beget Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day, and Isaac beget Jacob, and Jacob beget the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him, and delivered him out of all his afflictions, and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now there came a dearth over all the land of Egypt and, and uh, Shannon, and great affliction, and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was corn in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And at the second time, Joseph was made known to his brethren, and Joseph's kindred was made known to Pharaoh. And, and then sent Joseph and called his father Jacob to him and all his kindred, threescore and fifteen souls. So when Jacob went down into Egypt and died, he, our fathers, and were carried over into Shechem and lay in the sepulcher that Abraham bought for a sum of money of the sons of Emor and the father of Shechem. But when the time of the promise drew nigh, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king arose, which knew not Joseph. The same dealt subtly with our kindred and evil entreated our fathers so that they cast out their young children to the end that they might not live. In which time Moses was born and was exceedingly fair and nourished up in his father's house three months. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was a mighty in words and in deeds. And when he was fully, when he was full 40 years old and came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel, and seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that by God his hand would deliver them. But they understood that not. And the next day he showed himself unto them that serve and, they, and, they have, and would have set them at one again saying, Sirs, ye are brethren. Why do you wrong to one another? But he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Will thou kill me like you killed that Egyptian? Then fled Moses out after this saying, and was a stranger in the land of Madian, where he begat two sons. When, and when 40 years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of the fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he wondered at the sight. And as he drew near to behold it, the voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses trembled and durst not behold. When said the Lord to him, put off thy shoes from thy feet. For the place where thou standest is holy ground. I have seen, I have seen the affliction of my people, which is in Egypt. I have heard their groaning. I am come down to deliver them. And now come, and now come, I will send thee into Egypt. And Moses, whom they refused, saying, Who made thee a ruler oh, and a judge? The same did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out 
after that he had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me, him shall ye hear. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness, the tabernacle he's talking about, the tabernacle in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us to whom our fathers would not obey but thrust him from them and their hearts turned back again into Egypt saying unto Aaron, make us gods to go before us. For as for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't even know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered sacrifice unto the idol and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven as it is written in the book of the prophets. O ye house of Israel, have ye offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of 40 years in the wilderness? Yea, he took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your God, Rimpham, figures which he made to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses, that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen, which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drave out before the face of our fathers until the day of David, who found favor before God and desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house, howbeit the most high dwelleth not in temples, made with hands, as saith the prophet, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What house will ye build me, saith the Lord, or what is the place of their rest? Hath not my hand made all these things, ye stiff-necked, and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And have they slain them which showed before the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it? When they heard these things, they were cut to heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Now, I just read a whole lot of Bible. I hope nobody fell asleep. Because if you did, you missed it. Welcome to Stephen's TED Talk. Stephen just gave them a history lesson of their own history. And he said, just like they resisted God in the wilderness, you're resisting him right now. Just like they turned away and they served other gods like Moloch and Rimfram, now you're doing the same thing. They resisted the Holy Ghost. You resist the Holy Ghost. And he said, which of the prophets that have come before us have you not persecuted? You persecuted every prophet and you've slain them. And, and before the coming of the just one, of whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers, you received the law by the disposition of angels and you have not kept it. And when they heard it, when they heard when they heard this word, they couldn't take it. You see, he's talking to Jews who know history, and now they're seeing it, and they cannot stand it. And so the Bible said that they were cut to the heart. Watch this. The message that he just preached is not much different than the message that Peter preached. 
when they heard what Peter said, watch what the Bible says, they were pricked in their hearts. <coughs> they were pricked. And they said, what shall we do? When these men heard the message from Stephen, they weren't pricked in their hearts. The Bible says they were cut. They were cut to the heart. And they gnashed on him even with their teeth. They literally attacked Stephen. And the Bible says that they attacked him to the point where they were literally biting him. But he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into the heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold. Now, if that, if that verse 55 don't make no sense to you, you got to listen to Sunday morning's Bible studies, Hebrews 1, Hebrews lesson 1 and Hebrews lesson 2. He looked up into heaven. He saw God. He saw Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and they ran upon him with one accord and they cast him out of the city and they stoned him and the witness laid down and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Remember that name. And they stoned Stephen calling upon God. Stephen was calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and he cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Wow. What is about to happen now, Stephen would be the first martyr. He would not be the last. They're about to go on a killing spree. When there's so much anger from, from the leadership of the church at this time, uh, not really the church, but you, you know the, the, the priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious sects of this time. These, these religious organizations, they're so angry, but they have yet to touch a disciple. They have yet to touch an apostle. They, 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 would, they would not touch them because they said in their hearts, these men, the people see these men as God. The people see these men. They walk with Jesus, and the people, they love these men. And so we're, we're not afraid of these men, and we're not even afraid of Jesus necessarily. We're afraid of the people. You can go back to Acts chapter 4 and 5 and read this. They're afraid of the people. They're, I mean, the people the people will turn on us if we turn on these men. But when Stephen preached this message to them and told them to their face, you have already received this doctrine from angels and you refused it. You killed the prophets. You don't want this. You don't understand this. And they were pricked in their hearts. They killed this man. And when they kill him, I just want to read for you one verse out of Acts chapter 8, verse 1, and I'm, and I'm closing tonight. Remember they laid, when, when they were stoning him, you know, they, they, they were taking off their, you know, their outer garments, they, you know, just trying to get loose, you know. They wanted to have a good throwing. So they were taking off their outer garments, you know, so they could really get into it. 
And the Bible says that, the Bible notes for us that when they took off those outer garments so they could really get into this thing and kill Stephen, that they all laid their garments at the feet of Saul. Because Saul at that time was the leader of this group. Watch what the Bible says in Acts chapter 8 verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. I want to read, I'm, I'm going to read the next two scriptures as well. Watch, watch verse 2, put it on the screen for me. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. Verse 3, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. When, when Stephen died, it, 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 broke, it broke the dam and the flood came. When I believe, you know, the Bible doesn't say this, but, but I believe that, that these men were afraid of the apostles and the disciples. They were afraid of this moment. They had already killed Jesus, and when they killed Jesus, it did not go good for them. They killed Jesus, and within 50 days, 50 days from Jesus dying, the church grew by 5,000 people. Right? And then a few months later, the church is at 10,000 people. They're like, look, worst thing we ever did was kill Jesus. We killed him and the church is growing like crazy. We can't stop it. It's everywhere. And so now they, they have this trepidation of like, man, let's not mess with the disciples. The people are, you know, we don't want, to, we don't want the church to, be, to be, be built more. And But when they kill Stephen, I believe the floodgates open and they realize, oh, nothing's going to happen. He's going to die. We, we killed him. He's dead. This worked. We shut him up. And now they just begin to persecute the church. Saul goes into houses, homes. He's pulling out people. He has neighbors telling on each other, oh, yeah, they had a Bible study the other night. Boom, they went and grabbed him, threw him in prison. Men and women, the church is being persecuted, and they spread out. They spread out all over the regions into Judea and Samaria. And Saul is wreaking havoc on the church. But verse number four is going to tell us the story. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere doing what? Preaching the word. Whoo. My, my, my. Oh, no, no, no. You didn't do nothing. You didn't do nothing, Saul. No. All you're doing is, is spreading the church like butter. It's just getting better and better. You don't realize it, but what the enemy meant for bad God is about to turn around for his purpose, his power, his plan. Amen. Would you stand with me tonight? Over the next few chapters here in the book of Acts, these next three to four or five chapters are going to go pretty fast because they're all going to connect. But from, from, from Acts chapter 8, we're just reading all the way through by Acts chapter 10, chapter, chapter 11. It's just revival. And the revival is happening because the people are just being pushed out. The disciples are being pushed out. The disciples are going. They, they have to because there's persecution. Saul is persecuting the church. He's pushing the church. And you're going to see 
that the men, the men who were waiting tables in chapter 6 are going are to be the forerunners for the revival we see happening. And I'll, I'll connect this again next Wednesday. But it's just amazing to me that when you go back into chapter 6, one of those books in the, one of those chapters in the book, book of Acts that we just kind of skip over real quickly, you know, because it's, it's just about business. Chapter 6 of the book of Acts is just business. You know, nobody's getting saved. Nobody's getting free, you know, from sins. Nobody's getting delivered. It's just, it's just business. But what, what we're seeing is men being anointed to go do the work of God. Because sometimes business in the church is actually the propelling power of revival. And what looks like, oh, we're just, we're just handling things, we, we're putting people in place, we're setting up structure, is, is actually the platform for the word to increase. Amen? We're putting people in positions, and we have care pastors, and we have this, and we have that. People are like, oh, I don't know about all that. Pastor ought to just do everything around here. Well, the word will decrease if that happens, I guarantee you. But when the, word, when, when the church becomes structured, the word increases. And revival comes out of that. And the great revival, the great revival that we're about to see break out all over the world, in Judea and in Samaria, that great revival is going to be led by these men who were just waiting tables. Woo! That makes me want to run aisles. I don't know about you, but it, it excites me. Because a lot of times in, in the house of God, in, in, in the work of God, we feel like we're not really making a difference. But you are making a tremendous difference. Every person that serves, every person that gets involved, every person that puts their hand out and says, how can I push this thing forward? You have no idea the difference you're making, the doors you're opening, the chains you're breaking. And you have no idea that little creek that you may be getting in, you may be thinking, oh, this is just a little ministry. That creek may lead to a little river. Before you know it, you're in a rushing. Before you know it, you're in the, oh, man, this is where God wanted me to be the whole time. This is amazing. But it's because I got in, I got in way back there. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word. We want to thank you again for joining us on the Truth Chapel podcast. May you have a blessed day and walk in the favor of the Lord.